We're going to jump into the series we've been doing. is a series called Essentials, and uh, this has been uh, something we've been talking about as a leadership team for a while. And so we'll be continuing this, this series after Greg comes next week. Greg and Michelle come next week. But I've been talking through the essential of government, why, why government is so important. And so every time I bring this up and every time I teach on this, I, I know there's somebody in the room that says, you know, I really could care less about that. <laughs> this may be the Sunday that I take off and go to Florida. I don't know. It's just, why, do I, why should I care? And it's actually a really good question because for a long time, I didn't think it mattered either. When I first got saved, you know, uh, we've heard this said that what you get saved into is just as important as what you gave, got saved out of. So if you came out of a really rough lifestyle or brokenness, uh, I understand that coming into Christ, uh, you know, the Bible says we're a new creature, we're a new creation, uh, new nature, a new heart, all those things, and so many of the things that you were part of often just kind of fall away. Some things take some transforming of the mind, the Bible talks about that, um, but when you get saved into something, the local church, the, the body that you, you come into, if that body is unhealthy, that can be a really, really challenging place to become, to really grow as a disciple, and so... Um, how that local church operates and how the church operates is, is supposed to be done a certain way. There's a biblical precedent for all this. I, you hear me talk about this all the time. There's a biblical precedent for marriage, for parenting, for leading a business. Every aspect of our life should be governed through the values and through the, the new nature that God, God's given us and through the perspective of being kingdom-minded. Because again, what you do here is temporary unless it leads into the eternal, unless it builds into the eternal. So uh, the question always comes up about, well, why is uh, church government important? Is, you know, why is it important? And, and the whole idea is, in terms of leadership, leadership is a gift that the Bible talks about, one of the grace gifts, we're going to get to that in a second, about the fact that we wouldn't go certain places without someone who would lead us there, right? So if you, if you would go there without any help, there's really no need for the leadership leadership gift, right? That gift shouldn't even exist because, you know, given time, you'll just figure it out. But that's not how it works. God makes sure that we're interconnected. He did this on purpose. Um, And so he creates gifts that take us into places. He creates roles, and we're going to talk about that as well. So it's really, really important. But I want to talk for a second the difference between leadership and government, or governance is a biblical governance. So I know it's kind of a technical term, but I just want to kind of show you a picture. This is a picture of leadership, and it's, it's basically just a straight line. It's, it's leadership is what happens between a group of people and, and, and leaders in the direction that they're supposed to go. Taking them somewhere, you know, the vision talks about without vision people perish because they, the Scripture actually speaks to they wander around aimlessly. In other words, they don't have a destination in mind. So they run out of gas, they run out of resources, and they just kind of end up somewhere you never meant to end up kind of thing. And so leaders are are really important, again, because they take people where maybe they wouldn't go outside of that. One of the things that's missing in leadership that you see leadership in the world, because leadership works whether you're a Christian or not, right? Most of you guys understand that. You've seen good leadership or bad coaches, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of different business leaders, um, all, all kinds of different leadership roles. But the thing that's missing is in the next picture. This is a picture of governance. And so this is more like a triangle. And if you notice, there's something above it. So you still have the people and you still have the leaders and that interconnection between the direction that they go, so the leaders leading someone. And again, you can lead with a title, but that only goes so far. Just because someone says you're in charge doesn't mean you are going to lead people, Because especially if you're going to lead people um, long term. You're gonna, it's going to have to be a character issue. It's, you're, you're actually going to have to have the goods or very quickly people are going to discover it and they're not going to want to follow you anywhere. 
Um, I think it was uh, Mark Twain said that if you, if you think you're leading somebody and uh, you look behind you and not, not there, you're just out for a walk. Basically, you know, you're, you're wandering is what you're doing because nobody's following you. So the big picture here is you see a, a picture of God, you know, that encompasses the two groups, the people and the leaders, but there's a dynamic interaction now between God and the leaders, between God and the people, and how they interact together and how that relationship with God affects those two people, the leaders and, and the people. So that's really helpful. So we talked about last week how the foundation has to begin with God, has to begin with Christ. We talked about Jesus being the cornerstone, and if you remember last week, it's about, you know, that's a, a, an a, an architectural term where the stone goes in back in that day. The stone would go in and it would, had to be perfect. The stone had to be perfect. And that's the picture of Jesus. He's perfect. Uh, Hebrews says he's the, he's the perfect representation of God on earth. Without Jesus, you wouldn't understand forgiveness. You wouldn't understand redemption. You wouldn't understand who God is because the Old Testament is only a partial picture of who God is. And so when Jesus came, you go read Hebrews, especially chapter 1, it said in, in, in previous times God revealed himself through prophets and through, through angels, through all these different things. But in the last days he, he's revealed himself through his son. And so Jesus comes on in the picture and he builds a foundation. He, he shows us how it's done. The cornerstone comes in. We talked about how if you build with the cornerstone, you always measure from the cornerstone. You don't, you don't measure you know, out to the door and then from the door to the window and from the window to the edge of the house. You always come back and measure it from the beginning, from the cornerstone. And that's helpful, helpful in understanding church governance because too often what has happened is people over time have been leading in a certain direction. They get to a point, they don't know how they got to the point, and then they launch from that point out of ignorance. Okay, and so that's the big challenge. So, what I mean by that, for example, is you know I've told this story about how the you know the the guy asked his wife why she cuts off two inches of the ham before she cooks it on Christmas, and and she says I don't know. My mom taught me that, and he goes ask the mom, and the mom said, well, my mom taught me that, and he goes ask grandmother, and grandma says, well, I don't know why they're doing it, but I did it because my pan was too short, right? And so I mean it's a silly illustration. But that's, so, that, that, that's such a good example how often we do what we do in life without knowing why we're doing it. And that's just a good principle to pay attention to regardless of what you're doing. Why are you in school? You know, just because everybody's, you know, you, you're supposed to go to college? Why, why are you in a relationship? We used to have this conversation all the time with teenagers. Why are you in a, in a dating relationship? Well, because everybody else is. We're like, you're 12. <laughs> I don't know that this is a good season for you. I know, so we'd have to have that conversation. So Jesus was the cornerstone, had to be perfect. Measurements were taken from the cornerstone, and it couldn't be removed. If you remove the cornerstone, the danger is if you remove the cornerstone, the building falls down. And so the same thing is true. If you're trying to build church, you're trying to build church leadership, or better, the better word for it technically is church government or church governance, that if you, if you remove Christ from that picture in any form or fashion, it just begins to crumble. It's going to fall to pieces. And so that's, that's true whether you measured right or not. You know, eventually, if you get down the road and you stop measuring from the foundation stone, you stop asking questions. A good example is we, uh, we're leading through, uh, you know, a real, as Karen says, the pandemic. It's been going on for seven or eight months now. How do you lead through that? I mean, is that, you know, they're throwing around the word unprecedented like it was precedented. You know what I'm saying? It's like that word, if I hear it one more time, I'm just going to scream. So that, that, but how do you lead through that? And the answer is, the good news is, God will talk to you about how you lead through that. And you always go back to the, the, to the cornerstone. What does Jesus say about leading through crisis? Is there any place where he said, don't gather yourselves together? Gather yourselves together unless you're too busy, right? Don't forsake the gathering yourselves together unless COVID comes and, you know, you're afraid of getting sick. 
Now, I'm not saying don't take precautions. I'm very thankful that. We, we ask you guys to do that. That's why you're sitting six feet apart as family units, why we're wearing masks, why if you're not comfortable, as to, to those who are online, if you are um, at a higher risk, you're staying at home, but you can still gather yourselves together online, right? So don't miss that. And so that, that's important, and that's why we go back to the cornerstone. So if Jesus was the cornerstone and if Jesus really started this, if he's kind of the, the picture of all this, then it would, it would seem to reason that he would be the one who appoints the leaders of the church, wouldn't it? Like if, if the church is his, if the church is in one place, it's, it's uh, compared to his bride. If he, if he really loves his bride, don't you think he would have a whole lot to do with appointing the leaders? Wouldn't you think so? So he appoints the leaders. We see this uh, in Acts 20, 28. I've read this. Keep watch over yourselves. This is talking to leaders of the church, elders of the local church. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So in other words, the Holy Spirit moving, this is the Godhead, three in one, right, is, is, is completely connected and, and mixed in with the leadership of the church. It's designed to be that way. In the choosing of the leaders, that's why we do it a certain way, why we give, you know, earlier I said, hey, if you have some, some biblical challenge to, to anybody who's coming on team ever, come have that conversation with me. Because it's not, we're not picking people because it's a, you know, it's a popularity contest. We, we said this, if, if you, and when I re- wrote the letter, if you're choosing deacons because, you know, they're just faithful, man, 95% of DCFers are faithful, right? So that's, that's, one, that's one reason, and it's a good one, but it's not the only one. So there's other a- aspects and characteristics as to how you would choose, and we talked about that in detail in the letter we sent out. Um, but the Bible says the ho- Holy Spirit's made you overseers. So you don't, get to choose, you don't get to choose yourself as an overseer. Like, just because, well, I'm going to plant a church. That's great. You plant a church, does that make you an overseer? I don't know. Did the Holy Spirit choose you? At some point, as you, if you planted a church, there should be recognition by the people that God has chosen you. There should be other elders, other leaders who look at you and go, you know what? I completely agree. If you are 100% independent, there may be a reason for that. Right? Because you don't want people to know that you haven't been chosen. You want to start a church because it seemed like a good career move. That's, it's a bad career move, by the way. There are better ways to make money. <laughs> Unless you manipulate people, and then it's a really good way to make money. But that's my point. So the Holy Spirit is involved in this. Jesus has set this up. And secondly, um, if he's going to appoint these leaders, it would stand to reason that we would imitate his servant leadership style, right? Like if we're going to be shepherds or under-shepherds, what the Bible calls under-shepherds, wouldn't we look like the shepherd himself as leaders? Isn't that what you would think would happen? And, of course, the answer is, yeah, that's exactly how it would be. Um, and thirdly, if we're going to do it, we, we need to strive to do it biblically, to, to have a leadership structure, to have a government, to have a leadership, you know, a church, a local church that looks like something. Because here's the truth, every church leadership structure, every church, every local church is going to look like something. The question is, is it going to be biblical or not? Right? And, and many of, I hate to say this, I wish it weren't true, but many of them have lost their moorings. They've, they, you know, maybe started well, but then eventually began to separate from the cornerstone and, and, and take measurements from somewhere else. Right? And it leads, it always leads to tragedy when that occurs. So here's just a kind of a picture again. As servant leaders, they would humble themselves in submission to the king. So if you have a servant leader in the church, they're, one, they're not moved by popular opinion. Right? That's a helpful thing to know. They're not moved by money. They're not moved by anything, but they're completely in submission to the king. And the other thing that they would do is they would, they would participate with God's spirit in how he would lead the church. Because, again, the, the scripture, Acts 20, it says, keep watch over yourselves. So it speaks to watching yourself first, right, as an elder. You have to take care of you first. 
Um, we see this throughout Scripture. Um, but secondly, you watch over the flock that the Holy Spirit made you an overseer. So you're seeing over them. There's a responsibility for them, right? Which, if you, it, the way we see it in God's kingdom, if you're given responsibility, you're also given authority. God doesn't give you responsibility without giving you authority as well. And he doesn't give you authority without giving you responsibility. It's the way the kingdom works. And if you see one missing, you should be careful because it's going to lead to some, some bad things. But the second part of this verse is really interesting. It says, be shepherds. So the Holy Spirit's made you an overseer, so you're qualified, right? Grace has qualified you. The characteristics in Timothy and Titus, uh, an elder or deacon must be these things, right? So if that's the case, if it's character qualification, you must be those things. So the Holy Spirit's qualified you. The characteristics have qualified you. That means a season where people can see that you are qualified in your character. It says, then be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So think about this for a second. He bought the church with his own blood. That's his spouse that you have now been given the role to oversee. So just for an, as an example, just say I go away and I give somebody the role of, of looking out for my wife. Right, and you mistreat her in any form or fashion. When I get back, I, I'm I'm going to look for all my guns, not just one of them. I'm going to go find all my guns and knives, and I'm going to come find you, and it's going to be ugly. And then I'm going to repent because I'm a Christian. Right? <laughs> You'll still be dead, but I'll repent anyway. <laughs> but that's the point. That's the picture of Jesus bought us with His blood, and so He cares obviously a great deal about who is overseeing her and the character and the way that we oversee his bride. So one way we do that is we lead by his word. We're in submission to him. If the Holy Spirit has made us overseers, the expectation is that we would, as overseers, we would cooperate with the Holy Spirit to lead his, his bride. Isn't that what would happen? Like we would come in and go, you know what? I hear people say this all the time. It must be nice being an elder because you get to do whatever you want. If you only knew how untrue that was, I have so many other ideas that I would like to do other than the way God does it. Because it's faster for one reason, but it'd probably, be, it'd probably make a mess. But that's the whole point is I don't get to choose that because he bought, he bought her with his blood. She doesn't belong to me. I'm called to serve her, but she's not my master. And I'm going to get into that in just a second. So we lead by his word. This is a scripture found in Isaiah, but it's a, it's a characteristic that you see throughout the New Testament, in how the church led. They would all, they're always listening for the Word of God. When Paul and his team were traveling to go plant churches, they were in a place headed toward a, a place called Mysia. The, uh, Asia, when you read Asia in the Bible or Asia Minor, it's talking about what we call modern-day Turkey. Um, it's not Asia, the continent. It's, it's you know, that area of, of north, the north, middle, east kind of thing. So, so when he's going, they're traveling, and they're about to go into a Mysia, which is a part of that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit forbid them to do that. So it, that the, the, the expectation and, and, and really the explanation that we see in Scripture is, okay, how did that happen? The answer is they had an intention to go, go somewhere based on probably wisdom or just desire. And as they were moving in the direction they felt God had called them to, right, God came and gave them a very specific word about not going there but going here. And so the Bible says immediately after that they begin to pray, sought the Lord for the direction, um, the Bible says he, that Paul has a dream of a man over in Macedonia, which is, you know, modern-day um, Bosnia and uh, that, that whole area uh, in Eastern Europe now. And so, so he takes the whole team that direction instead of the other. 
So it wasn't about preference, and that's something that's helpful to understand. Um, again, this scripture in Isaiah says, this is Isaiah 66 too. It says, has not my hand made all these things? God talking about, you know, the temple and, 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 and people building the temple and what it was going to look like. That's the context. He says, have, have not my hands made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit. So that's a characteristic issue. And then secondly, who tremble at my word. Now, tremble is a very interesting word, right? A lot of, a lot of uh, New Testament believers don't like the word tremble because it, it speaks of fear. And it's like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't like fear because, you know, perfect, perfect love casts out fear. And that's true. But the reason why tremble is used is because it has that kind of connotation. It wants to shock you. People who tremble at the word of the Lord means they highly respect, highly honor, and love the word of God to the point where they're going to be submissive to it, right? Whatever the Lord is saying, that's what I want to do. So what does that look like for you? I mean, we're talking about church government, but what about family government? If you are the head of your household, so whether if you're in a, if you're in a family where you have a husband and a wife, and I know this is not super popular, I get it, but, but the husband, the Bible declares the husband to be the leader of the home. In the same way, so if you're, if you're questioning that, it's actually a good thing. Um, it's not necessarily bad to question, but we're going to talk about it in just a second, about how that works, right? Because it's not about a husband being a tyrant in his home. He's a fool if he doesn't listen to what his wife is saying about how she's hearing the Lord, what her perspective is of the family and the direction. He's a fool if he doesn't listen to her. But at some point, the Lord holds someone accountable, right? So if you're leading a church, then especially in eldership, we're going to talk about it in a second, but in eldership, it's a plurality of leaders, but there's always a first among equals. The, the closest we ever got to it was King Arthur's court, right? They made a round table for a reason. But it's not like anybody didn't know that King Arthur was the king, right? I mean, his name started with king, so that's how you know, <laughs> right? So, so but, it, but again, mutual admiration, mutual respect, all those things. And there were some guys in King Arthur's court that were probably better swordsmen than King Arthur, let's be honest, right? And we see this also in David's midst. David was the king, and he had what, what we call mighty men. Go read about those mighty men in, in, in Samuel. They're, they're incredible. They're amazing. And you wonder, well, why would they follow David when they, were so, they had so, such capacity themselves? And the answer is because God had appointed David king, right? So, so again, David didn't take that lightly. As a matter of fact, he could have taken the kingship in, in, a, in a way that was not God-ordained. He could have killed Saul. He had numerous opportunities, but he never did that, right? Because he wanted to, to submit to God's way of doing leadership. And you see that as a pattern into New Testament leadership. So, so you have a king. You have a first among equals, if you will, with all the David's mighty men. And yet, they all submitted to him and said, you know, you tell us what you think. There's this beautiful passage. This is a picture of it. It's a beautiful passage of how this looks in, in, in King David's day and what it would look like based on how leaders lead now, whether it's a husband leading a home, whether it's a, you know, a, a business owner leading a business, someone in charge of a school leading a school, um, a church leader, whatever that looks like. So David is pining over the water in Bethlehem. He's, oversee- he's overlooking this area that Beth, you know, not, uh, yeah, this was his home. He grew up there. He's, he's, uh, his heart is, oh, I long for the water here. And, and so he, he's saying it out loud. His mighty men hear it. They decide to fight into this place that was overrun by Philistines. They fight, three of them, fight into this, this garrison of Philistines, take water. So that means one person's carrying water on the way back out. So he's just fighting with one hand probably or got it strapped over his back. And yet they, they go in kill a bunch of people, take the water, bring it back, and they offer it to David. They're like, hey, you know, we, we did this for you. 
Now, first of all, think about how much love that, that must have come and how much respect and honor they had for David that they would be willing to risk their lives to go do that for him, right? He didn't ask. They just did it. And they come back, and this, the Bible says, and David took that drink offering, took that, that water, and poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. Now, I remember the first time I read that, I thought, well, that's, that was pretty dishonoring. <laughs> like, did you not see what they just did? Were you not watching the, you know, the movie? I mean, they just fought in there and fought out it, just to get you a drink of water, and you didn't even drink it? You know, how are you? That's such disdain for, your, for the people who follow you. But it wasn't. Why? Because David was saying to them, no one but God deserves that kind of honor. So think about what kind of leader it takes to humble himself and not draw that affection that belongs only to the Lord, not draw that affection to himself, right? This is pretty powerful. So we, we lead by the, by the word of God. We tremble, we, we respect, and we honor. And that's what we do as elders. We lead this church by what God is saying, right? And, and here's the thing. We're not the only ones as elders who hear, the, hear God. You hear God. And you tell us what you're hearing. There are prophetic words that come. There's, we're sharing during prayer time. You guys send emails. We just participated in it. This is who I feel like God is saying should be leaders in our church. So God's not just talking to us. But at the end of the day, and this is true with husbands or whatever, however God is talking, somebody needs to take responsibility and lead by his word. Not circumstances, not fear, not pride, not arrogance, not any of those things, but to lead by submit, being submitted to his word and what he's calling out for us. It's helpful to understand. We talked last week about how, how we build matters. So whether you're building a marriage, building a home, building a family, building a church, doesn't matter how we build matters. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians. He said, for we're God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you are God's building. So that's how he positioned it. And then he talked about in the next verse, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. In other words, be careful how you build. And then he goes on and says the only way you can really build is that there's no other foundation anyone can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But listen to that. I mentioned this last week. Even though Jesus Christ is supposed to be the foundation, you don't have to lay that foundation. You can lay another foundation. You shouldn't, <laughs> but you can. And many people have done it, again, either out of ignorance or ill intent. doesn't matter. It still ends up the same thing. No other foundation can be laid. So we decide if we lay that foundation or not that, that is Jesus. We decide that. Psalm 78, 72 says, basically tells us there's an expectation for leaders in the church. I talk about this all the time. When you read the Bible, the Bible often is, is assuming health in a situation. Wives, submit to your husbands, right? <laughs> Again, not a real popular word in modern day in the, in the modern day feminist movement or whatever. It's and if you if you go back and read it again, I don't have time to get into all this. But the point is, if you say this, if you say husbands, um, uh, wives submit to your husbands, right? If if you read that, the Bible is assuming that that's a healthy scenario. If your husband is a knothead who's out, you know, sinning and asking you to sin then you have no responsibility to submit to that husband because he is out of authority. He's, he's pulled himself out of being in submission to Christ, right? And submission's not a bad thing. We know that because one, one scripture says that, that, uh, that uh, wives are submitted to their husbands, husbands are submitted to Christ, and Christ is submitted to the Father. So if Jesus himself is in submission, submission can't be bad. It just needs to be healthy, Right? So just make sure you understand it. Understand it biblically, and, and, and don't try to do it any other way because it won't work. 
It just, you know, if, if, if a wife is submitted to a husband and she doesn't understand submission, biblical submission, she will not bring her full strength to that family. And the same thing in, in terms of an eldership. If you think elders are just the only ones who have a part in leading the church, then you will withhold your gift. You will withhold your strength and give it to the professionals, quote unquote, to do. And that's not what the Bible says to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that elders, part of the role of elders, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the work of your ministry. So the goal is, for our role, is to equip you so that you can do what God's called you to do. So in the modern day church, though, guess what happens? You come in, you go, you know, the pastor, he went to Bible college, you know, so he knows things. And so um, he's a professional, he's here all the time, we'll just give it to him. So that somehow absolves me from my responsibility as a believer. And it doesn't. And that's why it's really important to understand how these roles work. So Psalm 78, 72, it says there's an expectation. It says David, again, and, and he, he's modeled this, this leadership, um, this biblical leadership, in, even into the New Testament. It says David shepherded them with integrity of heart. So think about that. His heart was pure, integrity. And then secondly, he had skillful hands. This was the thing I learned in, in church leadership. I would run across a lot of people who had a, an amazing heart. Integrity of heart like nobody had ever seen. Uh, ne- nobody had ever seen. Horrible in the skill set. Had no idea. They were completely incompetent in areas. <laughs> Anybody ever served? I, I, some, if you served under me 20 years ago, you served under somebody who was incompetent. There's a bunch of areas. Because I didn't know. Some of it was ignorance. Some of it was arrogance. But it was either way, it was still incompetence. And so there's an expectation. But here's the, the flip side of that. You get someone who's incredibly competent at what they do, but they have no integrity of heart, They'll destroy you just the same. Does that make sense? Anybody see the value in this? Like that, not just in, in church leadership, but the same thing in, in you discovering as a husband how to lead your home. You should have integrity of heart, and you should have skillful hands. I love it. If you're pure of heart, that's wonderful. But if you're passive, that means you're not being skillful in, in the way that God called you to, to lead. Or, you know, you can have tremendous, you know, ability and, and know exactly what to do, but you're mean-spirited about it. And, and don't have the integrity of heart, then it's going it's to create damage. So let me get into the nitty-gritty. We're still keeping this kind of 50,000-foot level, so I'm going to dig just a little bit deeper um, and, and kind of land on this. Because how do you, at the end of the day, kind of know what the Bible says about leaders, but how do you actually do it? What does it actually practically look like from a biblical perspective? So there's two geographical groups, if you will, you see in the New Testament. So if our pattern is the Bible, right, then we have to, the one thing that we have to do is we have to look at the Bible in context, right, and then interpret that context into our own. So what does that look like? There, you, you hear Paul talking about, and throughout the Bible, you, you hear the Bible talk about sons, right? Sons and the inheritance goes to the sons. Well, why? That's a, that's a cultural context because women did not get an inheritance, right? That is, that's no longer true, right? We have caught up in the modern day in that realm with, with God's heart and his intention, because you see that in the Bible. You see that, I'm sorry, in the, you see, see that in the beginning with Genesis. That the man and the woman, God had put them together in that garden, right? So again, we're catching up with cultural context. Some things our culture has declined in, in biblical context. And so you have to take the context of, of that world, and you have to look at it through a lens of, of the context of this world, and always, anytime there's a cultural context, you have to let the, the, the scriptural context and scriptural culture win. You must do that. You must choose it. And it's unpopular. I love it when I preach into some things that, you know, the, the, the world has decided that certain things are okay when God clearly says they are not. 
And it creates a massive tension between us as believers in the world, but it's not a, a place to argue and beat up the world. It's a place to lead them into the right way of thinking and into a right heart um, and ultimately to lead them to the God that they don't know as a father, right? So it's, that's a whole other side of it. But the, there's two geographical groups you see leading in the church. One is the local church, and the second one we call translocal. That means, obviously, they travel between local churches. So what does that look like? There's three groups of people mentioned in a local church in the New Testament. There are elders, there are deacons, and there are saints. There are no others. So what does that, why does that matter? Well, what's an associate pastor? I don't know. Is he an elder? Is he a deacon? Or is he a saint? Because the only ones the Bible recognizes. So again, I have no problem with associate pastor or assistant pastor, although I still don't know the difference between the two. <laughs> I have no problem with that, right? We want to use some of those terms, except for this. If we're not careful, when we do that, we lose the, the meaning of the biblical context for leadership, right? So, so we want to call pastors uh, in a church, we want to say, hey, pastors lead churches. Well, that's fine, but do apostles lead churches? Do evangelists lead churches? Do um, teachers churches, right? Do prophets lead churches? And the answer is yes, they do. And if you have a mindset of what a pastor is supposed to look like and you get a different gift set as a leader in your church, it can create some tremendous problems with you. So elders, deacons, and saints. And so all elders and deacons are, are saints with a very specific role. God has called them to a very specific role. So everybody in a church is a saint. Why is this important? There's no such thing as a sinner saved by grace. Now, that's a, that, I lean into that when I talk about grace a lot, right? Because it's an identity problem. If you think you're still a sinner, then that's how you think about yourself. doesn't mean that Christians can't sin. You want to you hear about that, we get into some of our, our, our sessions about grace, and we're going to talk about that in the future because it's a big problem, especially in the South. But if, if you understand this, if you understand that there's no such thing as a sinner saved by grace, there's only a saint that's been saved by grace, Right? then you see yourself accurately, you recognize the value that you have in the local church, and you recognize that elders and deacons are not above any other saint. There is no, I'm better than you, there is no greater value placed on that, on, on that role outside of, again, you can be a saint and you can be an immature saint, but you can't be an immature elder biblically. Because the expectation is if you're going to become an elder or a deacon, then you've risen to a level of maturity that you must be these things if you're going to be placed in that role in, in, the, in the local church. And part of it is, is two, it's twofold. One is to protect the church from immature leadership. And sometimes it doesn't work that way because immature leaders find their way into leading churches anyway. And that's sad, but it's true. The other thing is, is it protects the person who has been given the role of a, of a leader. You ever heard of a PK, pastor's kids? The reason that's a thing <laughs> is because oftentimes the saints are, are immature, right? They're, they're being equipped, but in areas they're not equipped, and so they can do tremendous damage to the pastor's family, to a leader's family. If he's not mature, he will allow that to happen. He'll allow his own family to be damaged by the church because he won't call certain things out. He won't challenge it. That's a whole other story. So, Local church made up of, of saints, um, some of those saints have a role to play that's different than just a regular saint. Every saint has gifts, we're going to talk about that in a second. 
Every saint is, has been gifted in some way or some fashion to contribute to the vision of that local church. The translocal, what we would call five-fold gifts, you see this in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, these men, women are gifted people, right? Often serve as elders or deacons in their church. If you remember, the book of Acts is a great place to see this. You see deacons that would travel and some of the deacons were more powerful in their ministry than some of the elders of the Jerusalem church. Now, why is that important? Because, again, because of, because of the world that we've come up in in church world, we tend to think of it as a hierarchy. You have the senior pastor. You have the associate assistant. I'm not sure which one's in charge. You have, you know, the, the children's pastor and then the youth pastor because youth pastors are usually not that mature. That's why we have them with the youth because they can, you know, put peanut butter under their arms and, you know, any, you know that's why we do that. But, but, again, we should not be having any of those guys and calling them pastors if they're not, if they're not, if they, if they're not shepherds, we put it that way. So, so you have this hierarchy, and the danger is that's what you create. You create a hierarchy. And so then if you see yourself as a saint, and you don't understand this, you're down here somewhere, and meanwhile you have deacons and elders who are up here. But I know plenty of people. The, the best thing in the world in a local church is, to, is when it comes time to choose deacons and elders, to have so many potential deacons and elders that it becomes a challenge. That's ideal. Because what that means is God has raised up mature people in the church, mature leaders in the church. And just because you don't have the role of deacon or elder doesn't mean you don't bring your strength, your gifts, your passion, the ministry that God is equipping you to, to serve in. That's what that's supposed to look like. So the five-fold gifts we talked about. And why is that important? Because if you don't understand the role and the, and the way it's all interconnected, you will withhold your strength from the kingdom. And God never designed to do that. So what will happen is you have pastors who get up and talk. It's nothing wrong with that. This is preaching. The Bible talks about that. To proclaim, it's not always interactive. We have other aspects of that uh, online. We have small groups that are interactive. It's fine. But if you're not careful, you'll say, oh, the pastor, he does the talking, and then I just hear it, give my money, maybe serve a little bit here, and then, I'm, and then God's happy. No, no. What God's happy with is you being fully formed in Christ. Whether you become a, a, an elder or deacon has no bearing on this. Because it's not about that. It's not about that at all. So I want to show you a picture. This is just something simple. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping it all up with this so you understand the local church. I want to show you a picture of what was called Paul's missionary journeys. That's kind of a misnomer, actually, and, and I know everything's small. I'm going to show you a better one in just a second. But I just wanted to see the big picture. So there's four, considered four journeys, really three missionary journeys, and that last one that goes to Rome is the last, you know, that's, that was his trip to Rome, but he wrote some letters from there, so it's still considered a missionary journey. The thing is, is that's what we do. We call that a missionary. He was not a missionary. He was an apostle. And apostles had a very specific role. These are, again, some things we've taught into. We're going to teach into them in the, in the future. He had a very specific role. But if you notice, most everything starts down there at Jerusalem. That's kind of the launching point. So the next picture is that. You, you have Jerusalem. These are what we would call base churches. So Jerusalem, go to the next slide. Just Jerusalem down here on the right-hand corner. That was the original base church, Right? Um, Jesus goes there, um, the, the church is established, Jesus says go into all the world, the last thing he says to them is at the Sea of Galilee, he's telling them go into the world, and they said no we're not gonna, <laughs> and so persecution comes, and Jesus says yeah you are gonna, and then they did, and so we read next thing happens is there's a church up here in Antioch, right, and this is where they were first called Christians, the Bible says, little Christ, right? So what happened was Jerusalem was the base church from which everything was supposed to launch. This was God's intention. They didn't do it right. Remember, God assumes health, but it doesn't always look that way. So they, they launch out of Antioch, and up here in Antioch and some of these other areas, um, 
all of a sudden there's Christians who, who, are, who are show up, and from Jerusalem they send apostles to help build into the foundations of that new church. From there, Paul becomes a, a leader there. The Bible says he's, there are teachers and there are prophets there, and then Paul becomes a prophet. It starts out, they send Barnabas as an apostle there to help build into the local church, right? He does that, and from there, um, the Bible says that, that uh, it starts out with Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and then very quickly, it, somewhere in this journey, it switches over and it starts saying uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And that wasn't an accident. Barnabas came in released Paul, Paul grows up into this, this calling that God has, has for him to go to the Gentiles, and then he begins to take a leadership role. From there, from Antioch, he goes up to Ephesus. Now, he travels a bunch of different places, but the reason I'm showing you these particular, in particular are these were base churches. Because here's the thing. The Bible says from Ephesus, see Galatia, that's modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor in the Bible, Iconium, Lystra, Pisidia, Colossae, all these places where Paul went and he established churches. And the Bible says in every place that these apostolic prophetic teams went into, right, they, they would go in, they would, they would build a church, they would lead people to Christ, they would, they would be there, they would hear the voice of God, they would begin to move in the gifts of the Spirit, they would see the, the manifestation gifts come out, they would see the grace gifts come out, and a church would begin to be established. And then as they would travel back through there, from them, the apostles would choose elders in their midst, right? They would recognize them, they would have revelation that seemed to have a second sense. The way God does is one reason why we're bringing Greg in to, to appoint or to really to uh, install the leaders that we have. You don't need that with deacons because we see the process with deacons didn't need an apostle. That was a local church thing with local church elders. But eldership, that role of, of taking on the leadership, needed to be established by someone outside of just that elder or even the church that was choosing them. Why? Because it was too valuable. Because God was resting all of his authority in that leadership of that local church. It's one reason why young men need fathers. Right? Young men need fathers because if, how, do you, how do you learn how to have a family yourself? How do you lead your wife? Most of the time you watch your dad. But what if your dad's not doing it right? Then guess what you're going to do? You're going to do it wrong too. And so it's so important. That's why this is so important to get it right, right? So he does this, goes to Ephesus. He was in Ephesus for three years. From there, he launched out in every direction. The Bible said at one point, there was nowhere in that entire, entire area of Asia Minor that had not heard the gospel. Now, Paul was awesome, but he wasn't that awesome, right? So it turns out that Paul had a team. People would raise up from those local churches who would capture the vision of what God had for them, and they would go out. There is an expectation for all of us, all of us, not just elders and deacons, but all of us as saints to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel, to go into all the world and, and preach the gospel. So there's an expectation that God would raise up new leaders, and at some point you have too many leaders for your local church. Why? Because God is interested in planting out from you, going and taking the gospel into new locations. So let me kind of, there's this, I'm going to keep, keep this really short, but it's important to see, how, to see how you work in this. There's three sets of gifts the Bible talks about, and I go into detail this in, in other places. 1 Corinthians says there are different kinds of gifts, um, uh, but the same spirit. And so there, there's, there's certain kinds of gifts. We talked about these grace gifts, which are found like in Romans. Uh, these are things like serving, teaching, 
um, administrative gifts, all these different things, a gift of leadership, a, a, the, the gift of speaking. These are all grace gifts, and we teach into this in our church, and we help you discover what grace gifts have, have been given to you because the Bible says everybody has them, everybody. The Bible talks about they're given by the Father. These grace gifts are given, and this would be intrinsically who you are, right? When I was little, my, I was in the car with my, my uh, aunt and my mom, and my aunt looked at my mom, and she said, does he ever stop talking? And she said, my mom said, no, he doesn't. And I, I remember that because it hurt me, right? It hurt me because she didn't mean that in a good way. Now, here's the thing. God had called me to speak. He had given me the gift of speaking, right? It's something that's in my life. And, and now, I can use that in a helpful way. I can be immature about it. I can, I can and sometimes still do, and God, I, I have to check myself on this. I can dominate conversations. I can dominate a meeting. I can do that because this is what God has given me. But I shouldn't do that. This gift is designed to come under submission to Christ, to, to, to have a transformed mind, to learn how to do this well in Jesus so that it serves you and serves the purposes of the king. What's your gift? And here's the thing about these gifts. Oftentimes, these gifts lead churches, but they shouldn't. Because the Bible doesn't say that the gifts lead the church. It says the role of an elder, right? This plurality of elders are the ones who lead a church. So why is that important? Let's say you have the gift of giving. That usually means it's really easy for you to make money. So usually you're wealthy, right? And you're usually generous. Now you can use all that for yourself, just like I could use my gift to dominate conversations. You can use the gift of giving, right? You give and it comes back because this is the way God works. We know this about biblical finance. And you can use your gift of giving to try to manipulate the leaders of a church. And it often happens. It happens so often it's not even funny. And if a good elder will see that coming and will call gifted people on the carpet and say, listen, I appreciate your gift of giving, but you don't lead the church with your giving. So if you're telling me that you're only going to give so that we go this direction, then you're trying to lead the church with your gift and we'll be having none of that. So give it or don't give it. But don't make me chew you out again. You need to grow up in your gift, right? But too often, because pastors or, or leaders are immature, and this is, can be true. Listen to me. This is so important, guys. This can be true in your family. If you knew how many times, I mean, it just drives me nuts because I'm a governmental person, so it's probably worse than others. But when I see a husband and a wife and, and a husband indulging his wife in immature activity because he's afraid to pay the price of calling her out, and listen, we've done that to each other. My wife and I have done that to each other. We've called each other out, and thankfully, that's, that's the way it's designed to be, right? But I've watched this. I've watched, I've watched fathers with their children, and they indulge their children, and their, their children whine to get their way. So they're using this skill set, right, to manipulate the governmental role of a father. Please don't let that happen in your home. Don't. But don't, you don't have to be mean-spirited about it. My, I got two amazing little nephews. I love those guys so much. But they're little and they're growing up and they have different personalities so they're different strengths and it's fun to watch, right? One of them's just, he'll just get up in your business and just whine and complain and tell you how he wants to be. The other one's super subtle about it, right? But it's their immature, immaturity trying to lead the day. And so that's fine with some, I want their input. Guys, where would you guys like to go on vacation? Well, we'd like to go to Disneyland. We don't have enough money to go to Disneyland. Where else would you like to go? No, we're going to Disneyland or we will, you know, riot. Hey, good luck with that. You're going to nowhere land is where you're going now, right? 
And, and that's my point. If we lead strong, we don't get into that stuff. We say, hey, guys, listen, we don't have enough money to go there, but, you know, we could go to Six Flags. We could go here. We could go, we could go camp. What would you like to do? Oh, Dad, that's awesome. We'd love to do this. There's a submissive heart. And, again, it's not in the beginning. I get it. Same thing in church world. The leaders of the church come and say, hey, we, want to do, we, we feel like God is restoring the foundations of missions at DCF. That means you're going to have to step your game up when it comes to evangelism. So am I. Don't buck it. This is where God's leading us, right? Find the way to bring your strength, and, and it's going to fly through. Another gift is manifestation gifts. Don't be afraid to bring your strength in tongues and interpretation, words of wisdom and knowledge. Bring your strength, because that's whether you're an elder or deacon or a saint, doesn't make any difference. Just a believer in God can do that. And lastly is the fivefold gifts. Those are the gifts, you know, the, the manifestation gifts are given and, and, and are created for the use of all. You can choose to use them or not or walk in them or not, but they're available to you. These gifts, the fivefold gifts, are given to some. Not everybody gets them. And there's tremendous responsibility that comes with them. Not just, I mean, with more authority comes more responsibility. So why does that matter? Um, the easiest way to put it is roles have gifts, but gifts shouldn't have the roles. Right? So if you have an administrative gift, we, I've seen this in our church always. Our elders come in, we're listening to what the Lord is saying. We're making decisions based on what the Lord is saying. We tremble His word. When we do that, sometimes it makes a mess. That's why it takes two roles, the elders and the deacons. In some ways, it's like a father and a mother, right, leading a home. You ever notice? Oftentimes, a father will make a governmental decision. The wife is all in it. She's given her feedback, is 100% in agreement with this. This is the direction we're going. And then the children want to complain, but they're not going to complain to dad because, they, you know, he's the one who made the governmental decision. They're going to complain to mom because she's tender and she has a great heart, you know, and she'll maybe manipulate dad on my behalf, which is how some people see deacons, Right? It's like, I don't want to talk to Dave because he made the decision and, you know, I don't like him right now. So I'm going to go talk to the deacons and see if he can, the deacons can change his mind. But if they meet healthy deacons, they're going to meet deacons who say, my mind is in the same boat as Dave's. We made this decision. This is the direction we're going. I mean, as an eldership team, they made this decision. We had input. We, this is where we're going. So get on board, right? That's what that should look like. But too often it doesn't. And so why does that matter? Um, the best way to put it is an analogy of a bus if we're going somewhere on a bus, so this is going to be super helpful, you, especially if you're new or if you're part of another church and this has not been your culture. If you get on a bus somewhere, road buses in Chicago and different cities, you get on a bus, there's this clear indicator on the front of the bus that tells you where it's going. Don't get on the bus if you disagree with where it's going. But you know what a lot of people do? They'll get on the bus, they'll sit at the back, Knowing full well it's going to 5th Street, but they want to go to 1st Street. And so they just keep screaming, turn left, turn left. They're irritating everybody on the bus, right? And the driver of the bus has been given a mandate to go to that destination. The driver of the bus is the eldership team. There's a mandate to, to, to arrive at the destination that the Lord has called us to. And it does no one any good for you to stand at the back of the bus screaming, turn left, turn left, when you don't want to be there. What does that look like? We're a church that believes in the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you grew up Baptist and you're a cessationist and you don't want to be a part of that, that is your prerogative, just get on a different bus. Because you can scream all you want, and we're still going to speak in tongues. <laughs> now, this does not have to do with any of you guys. I know that. I get it. But I'm just saying this is how it works. Or if you go to a Baptist church and you really desperately want them to speak in tongues and they have chosen to turn that faucet off and they're not open to it at this point, then don't stand at the back of that bus and scream, turn left. It's not helpful for you. All you are is an irritant. 
even if turning left is a good idea. Does that make sense? <laughs> so let me end with this. Um, the Bible likens this to a bride. I said this before, talking about the Jewish, cost, the Jewish marriage custom. Um, Jesus out, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, right, so that you can come and be with me. That was marriage language. He had, he's, he's got a, um, a bride that he's engaged to, right? This is betrothal, the New Testament calls it. It's a little bit different than fiancé kind of thing, but a little bit deeper. But he would push the cup across to the, to the wife, and her family would be there, and if she said yes to that relationship, she would drink of his cup. That's a sermon series all in its own. But then he would say, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place. And he would leave, right? And if he was rich, he would leave attendance to his bride to help equip her and, and make her beautiful and prepare her for the bride. I mean, for the groom. That's what he would do. And then the Bible says at some point he would come for her, right? And there were attendants to the groom. There were attendants to the bride. There's a whole teaching on this. We're not going to do it today. But that, those attendants, if, if, the, if the young man was rich, when he would leave his, his betrothed to go prepare a place, he would leave attendants to equip her. If he was rich, he would leave attendants. If he was wise, he would make them eunuchs. Why? Because the danger, especially in modern day church, is you can be a eunuch, you can be an attendant and not be a eunuch. Does that make sense? And so you can be a leader of the church and you can draw the affections of the bride to yourself. And that probably is the worst possible scenario. Why, why do leaders do that? Mostly because they're insecure and they don't know who they are. They don't understand their relationship with the groom, with the king. Because see, I have a relationship with the one who left me here to attend, right? But I also know that you have a relationship with the one <laughs> who, who you're betrothed to. And so now there's that dynamic. Remember that triangle? There's that dynamic of elders and, and, you know, and five-fold ministry guys and the bride and, and how we're related to the king. And so, like I said before, I serve you as an attendant to the bride, but you're not my master, he is. And you should submit to me, again, in health. If I'm not healthy, it's not necessary. But if you should submit to me as a leader, right, even though I'm not your groom, I'm not your husband, he is. It doesn't absolve you from having a relationship with Him. And the more mature you get, let's be honest, the more mature you get, the less, in all honesty, you need the role of an elder and deacon and the more you become the role of an elder and deacon, right? Because it's, it, that's about maturity. And so I just want to leave you with this. Bring your strength to the local body. Whatever God's called you to. One, show up for goodness sake. Right? Be here. And I, I don't mean like there's some people I know online who can't come and be a part of this in-house meeting. This is a meeting. This is not the church. We, you and I, are the church. Right? We're in a meeting that the church is, is connected to. So be the church. Be who God called you to be. Grow up in maturity. Rise up to that place where you understand church government and the role that you play is to bring your, stri- your strength with your, with your grace gift, your administration, your giving, your leadership, your serving, all the different gifts that God has, has made you to be. Bring that strength to the local body, right? Because we all have a mission that we're on. We have a vision that this local church is trying to reach. It's a place that God's called us to go. And as elders and leaders, we're going to constantly tell you this is where we're going. This is where the bus is going. So don't sit on the bus and do, do nothing. Also, don't try to grab the wheel. That's not helpful. You try to lead the bus when you're not the person who's driving the bus, right? 
How do you bring influence? And the answer is be a mature believer. Grow up in, in, the, in the Lord. Bring your strength with your grace gifts. Be ready to operate in the manifestation gifts because they're dynamite and they're powerful and they break things open. And then recognize the fivefold ministry gifts and, and work with them. Right? Cooperate with the leaders of the church, the healthy leaders of the church that God has called us to go somewhere. Don't just follow, but bring your strength as we all go. Amen? If we do that, then the beauty of this is Jesus gets everything that he wants. And everything that he wants is only good. It may be challenging sometimes, but the answer is people are going to find their father. Broken, hurting people are going to become whole. There's going to be many sons who are one to glory. So as we move forward, let's trust the Lord for big things because he's got a big vision for this church that I promise you I cannot do by myself. None of these leaders that are part of our team can. It's going to take every one of us and then some, right? So let me pray for us. Jesus, we just say thank you, Lord. Um, You make all things beautiful, God, and, and you made the church a glorious thing. And so, Lord, help us to be a picture, just like our marriage is supposed to be a picture of you and your bride. Lord, um, would you show us, help us to show the world what you look like through the operation of the church because we're your people. So Lord, as, as we move forward, would you challenge us to step into the fullness of the call that's on our individual lives, Lord, to really understand the roles and the places that we, that we uh, uh, are in in the local church, Lord, the places that we're in in our family, what that looks like, how to bring our strength in whichever role that you've called us to. And to step up, Lord, to see you come in power and see your will be done in the earth. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for bearing with me. I know it's a little bit long. It can be a challenging uh, concept. So thank you. We're going to have Greg in next week. Be praying into this because, again, usually when someone like Greg comes, it's a big gift and he's translocal. He's an elder in his own right in his church. So he understands that relationship. And he's going to bring a message and bring his strength. And our prayer is that's going to launch us even further down into what, what God has for us. Also, if you need prayer, hang around. We'll, one of our leaders will, will come and connect with you for, or pray in here. And if you're online and you need prayer, you can uh, contact us at prayer at dothancf.com and we'll get somebody in touch with you. So thank you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.